What's up, guys? You're now listening to Devo with Uncle Theo. It's day 19. We're going to cover Exodus 4 through 6 together today. Let's hop into text. You have Moses here giving several objections. As we launch into chapter 4, we see an objection. And Moses said, what if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? For they may say, the Lord has not appeared to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a staff. He said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. So Moses gets scared. He's getting signs and wonders here now. But the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand and grasp it by the tail. And so he stretched out his hand and caught it. And it became a staff in his hand that they may believe that I am the Lord the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. And furthermore, he gives another sign where he makes his hand leprous, and then he turns it back. So we're about to start picking up the frequency of signs and wonders, and we'll have to make a note about this. I'll tell you why this is important. It's important because that's how you validate a true prophet. If he can back his message up, if he can authenticate his message with signs and wonders, then we know that's our guy. But see, there becomes a catch with this because there are magicians and there are people who practice the secret arts. And Egypt had some of these people who could perform signs and wonders as well. And being an Israelite at the time, you had to have a metric to gauge whether that messenger was of God or not. So you get two qualifiers. One is he must be able to perform these signs and wonders, but two, listen to his message. If he tells you to follow another God, he's not authenticated. He's not legitimate. So let's scratch him out. So that's what's about to start happening here. And we're about to see also that a lot of these magicians can't perform the signs and wonders with the intensity that God can. They can only get up to a certain level. And even the magicians are going to start to say that, look, Pharaoh, I don't know what's going on here, but we can't do that stuff that this God is doing. And as we continue to look at the text here, Moses yet gives another excuse. If you hop down to verse 10, then Moses said to the Lord, please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in times past, nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. The Lord, and I love this, the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth or who made him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then go and I, even I will be with your mouth. And I will teach you what you are to say. And so the Lord promises his presence. He promises his power. But Moses objects again. He says, please, Lord, now send this message by whomever you will. And it says immediately that the anger of the Lord burned against Moses. And there is a, a message here because Dustin and I, we go through this a lot when we 
are in the streets evangelizing, a lot of people don't want to share the gospel. They never want to go with us because they feel like they aren't fully trained. Hey, Theo, give me a few more months. Let me get these memory verses down. Let me go look up all of these, the, the top five world religions so I can have a counter for every one of those arguments. And we tell them, look, it doesn't work like that. Look, you can get basic training. You can get your base knowledge down, but the rest is going to have to come from being in the dojo and from sparring. And I love this quote from one theologian. He said, with lisping lips and a stammering tongue, God hears the prayers of his saints. And he was speaking of prayer, but that by way of extension goes out to everything, to gospel sharing, sharing your testimony with at the workplace, wherever you are in your everyday life. Don't give the excuse of Moses. When God promises his presence, Take him up on it, lest you hear verse 14 and the anger of the Lord burned against Moses. And I want us to be content and satisfied with the presence and the power of God. And I'm not saying that we should be ignorant. We shouldn't go out trying to preach a gospel that we don't know lest we preach a false gospel. We need to get the content of the gospel down and we need to get out there and spar and use it. And God has made man's tongue for his glory. And I want to make a note of what happens when Moses doesn't trust God. Guess who he gets? He gets his brother Aaron. In fact, if you look at the very next verse, he says, Aaron, your brother, the Levite, I know that he speaks fluently. And moreover, behold, he is coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You are to speak to him, and I will put the words in his mouth, and I, even I, will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you what you are to do. And so God is so good. We have to see this in the text. What does he do? When man has little faith, when man has pushbacks, he doesn't turn them into a pillar of salt like we see with Lot's wife, or he doesn't completely obliterate them, our God makes concessions. And this is so beautiful to me. This is why I love the God we serve. He gives us chance after chance. He's a second chance God. Not only that, he's a third, fourth, a 70 times seven forgiven and chance given God. And this is what he does here. And in fact, he doesn't, this doesn't preclude the sin that comes along with Aaron. We're going to experience a lot of problems with Aaron. Look, Aaron's is a pushover. We're going to see them build a calf. And look at the words when we get there, what Aaron says. He says, oh, we got this gold. They gave it to me. And this is just what came out. This calf came out. And it's like a, a three-year-old. That's what your son says. When you walk in a room, what were you doing? Uh, the cookie just popped in my hand. I, I don't know how it got here. This is the guy that has to come along with him now. He gets in a dispute with Miriam and Aaron over his wife, and Miriam is leading, and Aaron is a pushover there. We're just going to see time and time again that Aaron isn't our God, but God still made concessions. And we talked about this with Rachel. She brought her idols with her, and God had to deal with those. And it's the same here. When we struggle, when we look at our inadequacies, 
God makes concessions for us and still accomplishes his plan. And that's the beauty of the God we serve. And I think about the quote that we hear often that God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the call. And that's exactly what we see here. And as we continue, it says that in verse 18, that Moses departs and returns to Jethro, his father-in-law. And the Lord says to Moses in verse 21, that when you go back to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders which I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. And we have to stop here to talk about that word harden because it causes a little confusion in some people's mind where they think that God gave Pharaoh a disposition. And that's not the sense of the Hebrew here. It, what it is, it's strengthening. He already wanted to do it, but he lacked the willpower to do it. And so there are three types of usages of the word harden that we'll come into here. One is strengthening what he already wanted to do. Two is a resistance, but it's this dull, this dumb, this stubbornness and a refusal to see. And you're basically oblivious in this state. And then there's another state, and this is number three. This is Pharaoh hardening his own heart. He's resistant to change. And so we'll see all of those in the text, and I'll try to point those out as we get to them. So I want it to be clear that God is not doing anything wrong in this process, but we get to an interesting verse here in chapter four. It talks about Moses almost being put to death. Now it came about at the lodging place on the way that the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint knife and cut off her son's foreskin and threw it at Moses' feet. And she said, you are indeed a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. And we just have to talk about this here because this is a strange passage and many struggle with interpreting it. What I think the basic meaning of this passage is God coming to Moses saying, look, the covenant is established with me and Abraham. And that was supposed to continue through his children and his grandchildren. And I need to get something clear right here, right now, that leaders aren't exempt. And that is a powerful message that all of our leaders need to hear today. Because some leaders adopt a policy that, look, the law of the land applies to y'all. But look, me as a leader, I'm exempt. And God says no exceptions, no exemptions. All will submit and obey to me, even my leaders. And I think if we get some of that in our DNA, man, we will be a changed people because Jesus gives us a principle that says that after a student or after a disciple is fully trained, he'll be like his teacher. And those are sobering words. And that also tells us that we need to be very careful who we submit to, whether pastor, whether leader, because they're going to influence you. You need to look at who you see in the pulpit every day and ask yourself the question, am I okay having the same outcome as this guy who's preaching to me right now? Am I okay having the same life as him? That's serious stuff. Am I okay with my kids becoming what this man is that's talking to me every Sunday? 
And you have to make a serious decision to say, you know what, he's not perfect, but I'm okay with this. Or if you come to the conclusion that, nah, I'm not okay with it. Look, it behooves you to get up out of your seat and go to a location where you can submit to a guy like that. This is the, the message. We need more servant leaders. We don't need dictators. We don't need tyrants. We need leaders who lies, buttress what comes out of their mouths. Amen, God, for this lesson. So as we move into chapter five, gives us such a beautiful scenario. It says that afterwards, Moses and Aaron came and said to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may celebrate a feast to me in the wilderness. Look at what Pharaoh says. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And besides, I will not let Israel go. God said this would happen. I told you that there would be a war that God is going to declare on the world's first superpower, which is the 18th dynasty, which is Egypt in this time period. And Pharaoh is accepting the challenge. He's saying this. He's saying, who is the Lord? I know what a pantheon is. I know all of these gods in the pantheon. In fact, we worship them. In fact, I'm the top one. You have Ra, you have the sun god. Then you have me and my firstborn, which is an extension of me. Now I'm giving you a hint on why God goes after the firstborn, because that was an attack on the dynasty and the highest god being Pharaoh. And so taking out the, the sun utterly devastates Pharaoh. And so we'll see that as it develops. But we have Pharaoh basically saying here, let me use a double negative here. He's saying, who is Yahweh? I don't know no Yahweh. These are fighting words, ladies and gentlemen. And it's game on. God is about to reveal his great name. And so what he does is he says, no longer will you give the people straw to make brick as previously. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the quota of the bricks that they were making previously, you shall still impose on them. And so let me talk about what's happening here. Pharaoh is making their work harder. He's increasing their labor. He's not telling them to make bricks now and you cannot have any straw. That would be foolish of Pharaoh because you need the straw to make bricks. And he's building his empire and dynasty. So he's not just going to build a city that's crumbling just to prove a point. He's going to prove the point while still getting his end result. So he's not taking the straw away. He's telling them they have to go get their own straw. It won't be provided for them. They wouldn't, it won't be at the job site. They would have to go and get their own straw to make these bricks. And so he makes their life harder. He exacerbates the problem. And quite naturally, Verse 22, Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, why have you brought harm to this people? Why did you ever send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done harm to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. And then we get God speaking. Then God said, chapter 6, God said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. 
These are fighting words. These are some of the most powerful words that we're going to see in Exodus. For under compulsion, he will let them go. And under compulsion, he will drive them out of this land. Look at verse 5. Furthermore, I have heard the groanings of the sons of Israel because the Egyptians are holding them bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. This is the God who remembers. We have the Lord who remembers. And then we get a purpose statement for Exodus. What is the purpose of all of this, God? He says, then I will take you for my people and I will be your God and you will know that I'm the Lord your God who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you for a position. I am the Lord. And so God explains the purpose. I'm doing this so that you may know that I am the Lord your God. And that helps us to answer a few questions, a few questions about God. Why didn't you just miraculously teleport them out of Egypt into Canaan? He was doing a few things here. Remember, why the delay? You got the world's first superpower. You just don't take them out. This God thinks he's the most powerful God on the food chain. And so God is going to prove who Yahweh is, who the one true God is, who the only living God is. In fact, Deuteronomy tells us that all other false gods are just demons. We'll even look at that. They're, they're nothing. There's demons energizing these things and helping these things, which is why the magicians can do what they do. And we'll see that later. And two, you can't allow this superpower to break early. Why? Because he wants Israel to get their riches and to receive all of their possessions when they go out. So God is just like he was waiting on the Amorites for their iniquity to harden. He's working certain things in Egypt and he's going to accomplish those things here. And we get our purpose statement in chapter six. And the chapter ends with naming a genealogy of the heads of Israel. And you get a lot of the son's name. I won't go through this for the sake of time because I, I took you all to 30 minutes on my last episode. But I had to do that introductory work and I had to ca capture a lot of those things in chapter three. So we're going to take it light today. By the way, I'm split on it. Because a lot of my older friends tell me, Theo, don't you dare look at that clock. I'm enjoying what you're doing. In fact, I lose track of time when we're in the Word together. So if you got to go 20, 30 minutes, hallelujah, you do it. Then my younger people that I'm discipling saying, Theo, please give me 15 minutes, pressing me to stay under 15 minutes. And I come to the conclusion that everybody always says, you can't please everybody. So... I'm going to go over some days and I'm going to go under some days and I guess everybody will be happy. Maybe some will, will walk away and leave me, but we'll make it right in heaven when we get to glory. Amen. So here you see a few names name and I just want to pull out a few names. In verse 16, you see the sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. We have to take note of those because they're going to be very instrumental in the operation of the tabernacle. And so we're going to have some interesting dialogue around these three groups. Also take notice of 
Aaron's sons in verse 23, Nadab and Abihu, they're going to come up again. And also look at Aaron's son in verse 25, Phineas. We're going to learn a lot about Phineas, especially in numbers. And so the chapter wraps up with Moses summarizing what he was told by God. And we're about to go into it. It's the showdown. So I'm going to have a list of all of the gods that God is going to go to war with. The first one, uh, I'll go ahead and give him away. His name is Happy. <laughs> He's the god of the Nile. And that's why he turns the Nile into blood. He's basically saying, look, I've killed your first god. Happy is sad. Happy is dead. <laughs> no more happy. And so we're going to walk into that, and I'm going to try my best to give the names of each of these guys that God declares war on, and we're going to enter this together. It's exciting stuff. I'm glad to uh, walk through with this with you. And the God who put his bow in the cloud that promised never to destroy humanity again, he took his weapon off the shelf, and he's about to go to war. He won't destroy humanity again. He's just about to direct this toward Egypt. Don't we serve a wonderful God? Let's learn that we have a God who remembers us, a God who never forgets. And yeah. we'll catch you next time on day 20 hey, as we I tackle Exodus 7 through 9.